Welcome to episode number 16 of the Marine Layer Podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, it's all Ryan Divish. We talk, sat down with the Mariners beat writer for the Seattle Times for a little under an hour. We had plenty to talk about. We talked a little bit about Ryan's career growing into a beat writing role, a couple things outside of baseball, and then all the major storylines that Ryan Divish is looking at uh, for this 2023 spring training. Again, nearly an hour-long interview, so that's our entire show. Of course, we always close out the show with Speak Your Mind. That will be after the interview with Ryan Divish. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you into this episode of the Marine Life Podcast here on Monday, February 20th. Lyle, it is good to have a full week of spring training video that we can overanalyze for, for an entire week. It, it's fabulous sitting there, just divish. Uh, we, we talked to him a little bit about it, just sitting behind home plate, his phone through the chain link bench, just watching all sorts of things that have possibly gone on. It has been very refreshing. I'm so happy to have it back. Is there a storyline from these Twitter videos that you've loved the most so far? Well, I liked Julio's today. I mean, he hit an absolute nuke off of Isaiah Campbell. Campbell gets ahead of him with a breaking ball out in front. Julio just kind of, you know, shrugs at the ball. I think he watched two more pitches, and then he hit an absolute piss missile over the left center field fence. I can't wait to watch that man play this season. But another favorite that you brought to my attention, Lyle, is, I, I mean, it's not baseball season. Without you sending me a Jared Jared Kelnick video and going a little bit over the top. I mean, you sent me some batting practice and told me Jared was fixed. Fixed. No, I think you're putting words in my mouth. That is not exactly uh, what I said. Uh, uh, I don't know. Should I pull up the receipts? You'll you have to buy my exact you'll have to buy my exact wording. Look. He has been spraying a lot of balls the opposite way in batting practice is all I'm going to say. All I said is I think that's good news because if he goes back to that this year, that's a positive sign. One thing we can confidently say, he changed his swing and stance again. Like that, It's very clear. He did, he's, but he's also working, he's with a totally, he's working with a totally new set of coaches now, so maybe they can fix right. him for good this time. What happened to Mark McGuire? Well, I don't know what the story there is. Maybe it fell through, but Kelnick yeah, didn't well, spend yeah. the <laughs> Yeah. Well, Kelnick didn't spend the winter in Wisconsin this year. He was in California and Arizona, like a couple of the Mariners beat writers were reporting with some new coaches. Hopefully this time, third time's a charm. I don't blame him for that. I mean, as as two of us who have spent multiple winters in Arizona, compare it to Wisconsin, Jared, like, you know you're from there, dog, but it's not a better place to spend a winter. Uh, well, anyway, like back to a swing a little bit. I don't even. I don't think we talked to Ryan Divish about Jared Kilnick's swing path at all. But I do think it's interesting. I mean, he's dropping his hands down a little bit lower. I know in the minor leagues he was always like this, like rocking his hands back and forth like this. But now it's more of like a calm. And then when he's ready to swing, he's dropping his hands down, probably about halfway between his shoulder and his hip. And you know, it's it's different. It's definitely different than what he's been doing. Uh, and I'm. Curious to see if it'll work. It is it is a change, to say the least. It is absolutely a change. 
It is a change, and we know he's mixed it up a few times. Some people like to get on him about it. I say, you know what? Until something really clicks for you, it's okay. He he had a whole offseason to stick with this routine and approach. So, again, hopefully this is the time it works. Because, like you said, he does look different. And hopefully when we start to see some spring training games, we see all this work pay off on the field too. Because that would be, as we've talked about, just huge for the M's this year. For you, before we get to Ryan Davis, you asked me this question, so I'll ask you. I mean, what video besides let's let's you're not allowed to talk about Jared anymore. What video has stuck out to you the most from what you've seen from camp? I'm gonna take a couple. Okay, Prelander Baroa throwing like 98, 99 miles an hour stood out for yeah. sure because we've talked about it or we've talked about and reporters have talked about a few of these Mariners arms and the minors that could contribute in the bullpen this year between Bryce Miller, maybe Taylor Dollard, maybe Emerson Hancock. Baroa's in that mix. And keep in mind, this is a guy they traded Donnie Walton for. This is a high upside reliever who's touching the high 90s and looks like he's got a chance to, at some point this year, get up to the big leagues if it continues to click because he had a good year last year. So that stood out to me for sure. Also, if we're going to throw in a Julio take and a Julio video, Today, when he got rung up by Brian O'Keefe and he tried to channel his inner April umpire and Julio walked out of there all pissed off and he throws his hand in the air. Oh, that one got me. He learned really well from Ichiro. Ichiro, you remember when Ichiro did that? That was the only time he's ever been ejected in his career. Oh, I don't even ever remember Ichiro being ejected. There, there was a, it was, it's floating around Twitter. I believe he was up in Toronto and Ichiro, like it's called under the ball inside without saying a word to the umpire looks down and draws a line in the dirt where he thought the, 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 the pitch was, that is obviously a instant ejection. If you show up an umpire like that again, like, I think like maybe like grow some thicker skin, but regardless, like that is a, that's an instant ejection and Julio did it. And that's exactly what I chuckled about because there's some video. There was a couple of photos of of Julio and Ichiro sitting next to each other, stretching the other day. And I think you know Ichiro's like, "Hey, man, if you ever get rung up on something bad, just draw a line in the dirt. Just draw a line in the dirt." <laughs> and there's no umpires, so they can't uh, they can't they can't worry about it. Speaking of umpires, uh, pay attention to Art. Speak your mind. I think we have a really good one for you to, uh, to <laughs> for this episode. Without any further ado, uh, Ryan Divish was. He's fantastic. It was, it was great getting him on the podcast. I've gotten to interview him before uh, on our radio show here uh, here in the state of Oregon, but that's obviously in a much shorter, condensed window. It was nice to get Ryan on here and really get to flesh out some thoughts with him uh, and talk about a whole number of things. You'll hear that. Uh, let's get to our interview with Ryan Divish. We welcome Ryan Divish onto the Marine Layer podcast. Ryan is a staff writer for the Seattle Times covering the Mariners, and he also is the host of the Extra Innings podcast, his own version of a Mariners podcast. We appreciate Ryan joining the Marine Layer podcast today. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I don't know if it's necessarily a podcast when I only record it once every about two months anymore. I've been kind of lazy about it, trying to navigate some of the uh, – the, uh, Technical issues with Larry Stone is always a bit of a adventure, and so I might have to try this this uh, software. It looks a lot better than what we use. He sounds oh, like he always sounds like he's somewhere far away from any wireless signal. Yeah, like in a cave in Afghanistan, almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, that's what it, that's what it sounds like. He so, it sometimes 
it's a little tricky to hear him skipping along, but we, we really, we, we, me and Lyle both listen to it quite often. So it, it is good stuff. We appreciate the, uh, the content you're able to, to put out. I'm curious for you for how many springs you've been able to go down there. The difference in climate for how you usually spend your off seasons up in Haver, Montana, and then <laughs> transitioning down to arguably the warmest place in the United States. I, I don't know if you could pick two polar opposites for the span of two weeks. No, you are you are very correct. Um, yeah, I haven't. I mean, I really started spending most of my off season in Haver in the last couple of years. Um, I started dating a girl from my hometown of all things, and so you know, I go back home because I'm gone most of the time, and she lives there and she works there. So I go back, and yeah, there were times this year where it was 45 below, and that's pre wind chill, and then the wind chill bump out up to 50 or 60. Uh, you know, I grew up in that town and I lived in Dickinson, North Dakota. And, you know, I thought I could handle it. I can't anymore. It's miserable. Like you just don't want to leave the house. You do, but it's just, it's hard to describe it. Like the snot in your nose freezes. Um, you just don't want to do much of anything. So yeah, there was one year my dad came down to visit me down here and he left Haver and it was minus 27. And he got here and it was 87. So you're talking a hundred degrees difference. And it's just, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy how, how much you look forward to this. It's not real warm here today. Last night it hailed and rained and it was like biblical rain. Like we get in the Pacific Northwest, you know, where it's kind of a mist. This was big raindrops and it had lightning and thunder above it. And then it was hailing. And I'm like, you know, I got here. And I was at the Costco park. I guess this would have been Tuesday night. They all run together. But anyways, I was in the Costco parking lot. I'd gotten some stuff for the apartment. I stay in here. And I'm walking out in that cart. I'm pushing a cart, and it's just lightning and hail. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm pushing a big metal cart across the parking lot, and there's lightning above me. And it was hitting ground all over. I'm like, I ran really fast to try and get that stuff in. It was it was nuts. I think they were saying today that the Mariners, one of the Mariners, Fields got hit by a lightning and messed up the track man. So that's one of the reasons why they didn't have track man data today on Bryce Miller's uh, bullpen is because they think that it got hit by a lightning. <laughs> that's actually a really funny story. I can't wait. It was really funny when we went down to school for the first time. I think it was our, so we both went to ASU and the, the I, I can remember uh, seeing one of those first thunderstorms. And as you know, in the Pacific Northwest, the thunderstorms are really few and far between and there's not too much lightning. So it's 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 a bit of a wake up call. The, another question I have about you arriving down in Arizona in terms of you know what your first food choice is. I know you love that Hawaiian barbecue place. You posted it with Jordan today, which mm-hmm. I, I need to try that spot whenever mm-hmm. I get down to Arizona. But it's like that and In and Out. I don't know which one. I don't know how you choose which one you go to first. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Like I post that In and Out, and I usually preface it by saying I don't care if you like this burger or not. You know, it's not necessarily like my favorite burger, but. When I did the spring training for the first time in 2008, it was right here. It's right there on the corner of 83rd and Bell, you know, Bell Road, the seventh circle of hell. Um, But yeah, I I was there, you know, so I went there my first year and I had it. I liked it. I'd never had it before. I liked it. That's a pretty good burger. You know, I didn't think it was like life changing. I thought it was better than Dick's Burgers in Seattle. and, and, And so I had it and it was just, so the next year I came back, I had it again. And it's just always been kind of my tradition. That's my first meal every year um leo's island barbecue which is right down the road from the complex is probably my second meal Uh, but yeah that's i always just have it you know it's varied 
so that first year when I came down here in 2008, um, I'd never done sprint training before. I didn't really have a lot of help or guidance. And so that year, I think I gained, I think I was 14 pounds in two months by, cause I would go, they had a bar called the Salty Senorita, which is right by the Padres complex. I'd go there and I'd have buckets of beers with some buddies and the other riders. And then I go straight to in and out and get two double doubles and some fries and then go home. And I do that like every other day. And pretty soon I was like, holy cow, none of my clothes are fitting anymore. I feel terrible. I mean, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Don't get me wrong, but like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot open at one in the morning. So I'd always go to in and out and get a couple of double doubles before bed. Now I've, I've had to change that as I've gotten older, but that's always my first meal. Every time I've come to spring training, I always go to in and out for my first meal. I don't eat it all the time. Not like in the past, I might have it maybe two or three times when I'm down here, but I don't eat it. That's always just my first one. That is some peak Arizona behavior. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you guys are ASU guys. I would always go like, you know, we'd always hit up mill and, you know, we go to the mellow mushroom or I hit up, you know, there's a place. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we went there. We were just at mellow mushroom like five days ago. So the the year I was a few years ago when Montana beat uh, University of Washington in football, you know I was here covering games in in uh, at Chase Field, and uh, I was basically watching the, the Grizz game. I didn't even watch the game I was covering, and that was when the Mariners. It was two thousand twenty one where they they had that magical run late. And yeah. So, anyways, we we got done and we went to. After the game, my girlfriend was here. She came she met me after the game, and we went, because it was a day game, we went to Barrio Queen and got margaritas and celebrated the win. And then I took her. It was Saturday night, and it was early. You know, it was Saturday night. I think it's September. I said, you've got to see Mill Avenue on a Saturday night. You just will not believe what Mill Avenue is like. And so I took her down there on a Saturday night after we were there, walked around Mill, went to Mellow Mushroom, sat in the bar, grabbed some drinks, you know, and. And she said to me, she says, she has twins. She says, my daughter will never go to this school. Look at how they dress. And then she looks around. She goes, neither will my son. My son will not go here either. So I don't know how you guys survived uh, Tempe, but it's, I don't, it's, uh, you shouldn't lose many recruiting trips if you come here. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said we didn't mosey our way out to Mill Avenue once or twice in our time at school to put it lightly um (laughs) going on going on to your kind of career as a writer how did you end up in seattle because i know you've made a bunch of different stops throughout your journey what eventually led you to the mariners um yeah i I don't well i got uh growing up i knew i wanted to be in journalism but i didn't you know i also thought i wanted to play college baseball and did kind of some meandering stuff with that and so I ended up at the school in North Dakota and they didn't have journalism. Um, and so they only had like teaching and nursing business and truck driving. It's a quality NAI school I was playing at. Um, so I just, I got a teaching degree there cause I wanted to play my four years. My sister was going, my sister was on scholarship for volleyball and fast pitch. I was on scholarship for baseball. So like it was helping my parents out. We, shared an apartment, you know, so I got my teaching degree. I think my parents thought that I was just going to be a teacher and a coach. And I did my student teaching. I think I was two days into my student teaching. I realized I hated kids. I hated them so much. 
And so I convinced my parents to let me go back to University of Montana to get my journalism degree. And in the process of doing that, I did an internship in Tacoma at the News Tribune, back when the News Tribune was really big, you know, when they'd have 150,000 circulation and John Clayton was working there and, and um, some of those guys. And so for whatever reason, I must have d did a good job there. And so I think it was about three or four years later after I'd worked in my hometown paper, the Haver Daily News, and then nine long months in Pocatello, Idaho, the News Tribune called me and asked me if I wanted to come back. And it was as a general assignment sports reporter. So like I did, uh, it was mostly like 30% high school. And then like the rest I was backing up, like I'd help with Seahawks coverage or I'd do um, uh, Mariners. I'd help with the Mariners as a Mariners backup guy. We covered the Tacoma Rainiers at the time because they were really stacked. They covered it like a real team. So I did all that, you know, and they moved me to the Mariners full time, I think in 08. And then we kind of split it for a while. and. I mean, there was the one year where I had to cover Steve Sarkeesian and uh, he really hated me and I really hated him. Um, but yeah, and then the Times, when Jeff Baker left to be in 14, they called the Times call. But yeah, I didn't know really that I wanted to do, I didn't know that I wanted to be in Seattle. I mean, it's close, but it was just where the opportunity came. And then I thought I was going to be a college basketball and college football writer. Um, but like my baseball background and just kind of the daily rhythm of it, was really good for me. Like I need to have structure. I have really bad ADD. And so like, I need to have structure. Um, and like the baseball season, because it has games because of that, it really helps me a lot. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. And it's like, I was talking to somebody the other day, I can't, you know, I can't really think of a job that I would go to now. Um, I applied for a job at the Washington Post a while back and it was actually the year that they won it going into the year where they won it. And then uh, I've looked at Minnesota a couple of times because I have family there. And then Denver, um, my sister lives in Denver. So I've looked at those places, but I, you know, anymore, like this will be my last job, like my last job in journalism or last beat writing job. Like I won't, you know, after if I decide to be done with this um, sooner rather than later or whatever, I, I won't go anywhere else. I'll just be, move back to Montana and work in a bar or something. I don't, you know when I'm done doing this, there's like no other aspirations. I don't want to be on TV or anything like that. You've really gotten to cover some characters. I mean, you said Sark. I mean, we were, we were thinking when we were brainstorming, I mean, Eric Bedard was a big one too, uh, among other ones. I remember, I remember I've heard you talk about your first year on the beat a bunch. And I, I really couldn't think of a better group to really get thrown into the fire to, to sort of learn the ropes. Yeah, that was like a collection of malcontents and jerks. And just like, I thought I, I didn't know if I was going to make it through the season. Like, I was so excited. And then I got around those guys and I hated every one of them, like Sexton and Jeremy Reed and, and Bedard. And, and I, I hated Bedard as much as some of the other guys. I kind of understood him a little bit. He was just like a simple, small town dude from Canada, like to drink beer. I don't even know if he really liked baseball. He was just good at it. Um, yeah, that was a rough year because they were terrible. And then they were like the manager hated me. And I didn't and to be honest, like I was a I was a total zoo. I didn't know what I was doing. I screwed up all the time. Um, but <laughs> I bet I was telling somebody I was watching the Super Bowl and the last time the Super Bowl was here before was the Seahawks Patriots and that year I came to the Sea when I came down here and helped cover Super Bowl that year, I think we sent, I don't know, twenty people between editors, photographers, and writers. My one job during the week was to cover Marshawn Lynch not talking to the media. 
That's what I wrote about. I went wherever Marshawn went and wrote about whether he talked to the media or not, what he said or anything like that. Like on the media day, like I had the picture of it and it's just like I get bad flashbacks. I found out where he was going to be and I positioned myself there from the very beginning. I didn't do anything else. Just stood there and waited in the crush and onslaught of him saying, I'm just here so I won't get fined. It was like, wow. But that was my one job for an entire week was covering Marshawn Lynch. So, yeah, there's been some interesting dudes along the way. I, I can't say it's been dull, that's for certain. Well, if we transfer a little bit over to some Mariners talk, and this has all been great. For the record, we we really appreciate the way you do your reporting because I think it adds some humor, but at the same time, I think you're really good at your job and you ask the right questions and it turns into really good content. And I learn a lot just kind of listening to you and, and reading your articles. So I've always appreciated all your work for whatever that's worth. Appreciate um, it too. Just kind of transferring over to some Mariners stuff now. Um, let's just get right into it. I know you've probably been asked about it a million times this off season. You probably have to talk about it a million times this off season, but the Mariners, we'll call it lack of spending. Was there mm-hmm. ever a point in this off season where it was a realistic expectation that they could really land one of those four shortstops because that's so much of the outcry among fans this winter. Um, no, I didn't think so. I didn't, I didn't think that they were that interested in committing more than seven or eight years. And I didn't think that was going to get any of them other than maybe Dan Z Swanson. I just didn't think he wanted to, to come out to Seattle. You know, I'd heard about his, fiance or his girlfriend that played for the team in Chicago, you know, that he preferred to stay East coast. We knew all along that Trey Turner didn't want to come West unless he wasn't going to stay on the West coast, unless it was the Dodgers. Um, so then that leaves you with Bogarts and, and, and Correa. And I thought Bogarts, the Red Sox might just bring him back. Um, you know, I was stunned by what San Diego offered. I think everybody in baseball was stunned what San Diego did. You know, and then the Correa deal was, I don't know that the Mariners had any working knowledge of his injury. I just didn't think he was very interested in coming to Seattle. You know, they would have, you know, honestly, like once it got down to six years after all the injury stuff, I was like, damn, they should be in on it now. Like, get in on it now when it's at six years. But they just, I don't believe that, like, and it isn't just John Stanton, although he green greenlights everything. I just don't think Jerry DePoto is comfortable giving a 28-year-old a 10-year contract you know it's one thing to give a 21 year old a 10-year contract because you know then he'll be 31 when it's done or 15 year whatever julio's gonna be um and that was a different kind of set of circumstances because he was yours to begin with but yeah i didn't think that i didn't know that there was that much interest from the shortstop so they can kind of come out and say well yeah you know we really would prefer to keep jp and they tried it last year with trevor story offered essentially the same contract to him and he chose the Red Sox. I do think there's still a stigma about playing in Seattle. Um, you know, whether it's the winning, the weather, the travel, DePoto and service, it all adds up. Cause you hear all this stuff. Oh yeah. My guy's not going to go there. You know, look at how Jerry did it, did this guy, you know, or you hear from players like, Oh, I heard from so-and-so that's not a great place. And, you know, and I mean, at the end of the day, it still comes down to money and fit. Um, but I just didn't think like when I saw what their needs were, I didn't think they were going to go crazy because like they needed an outfield bat, even if they would, you know, regardless of, you know, Hanniger or whatever, I thought they needed another bat. Um, And 
they didn't they there just wasn't that one out there i mean beyond aaron judge i wasn't like a huge brandon nemo guy i mean like ben intendi's fine i don't know that you call him an elite player to sign but um and i think they just felt like because they didn't have they weren't drawing strong interest and they felt like the market was inflated early that they were just going to go the trade route and they prefer that um and i you know so i i wasn't surprised I think sometimes like Jerry is silver boast and he's great for us, but like, like people, he's got to remember, people remember everything. It's out there. It's recorded. You know, you say something Mm -hmm. like that, then it's going to be, but like, again, like what he defines as supplementing or supplementing this team or going out and getting an impact player. His definition of impact is probably vastly different than Mabel and Yakima or just the casual fan who sees the big names and says, well, he's an all-star. Let's go get him. You know, I don't give a damn about the money. Um, it's an interesting thing. I mean, like, I I could see the sides of, like, it's not your money and the Mariners make a lot of money. Go get one of those guys. But I've always thought that they've had to pay 20% over market value to get a hitter to come here. And if the market value is $320 million at 10 years, then the 20% that you're going to have to tack onto that just doesn't seem very realistic for me. Was there a guy they actually wanted, though, like actually circled and said, mm, yeah, like we would really prefer this? I don't think so. I mean, they love Turner. They love Trey Turner a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone they, did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they just felt like he early on that they knew he wasn't going to be a part of it. So they loved him probably the most. So at this point, then, in terms of acquisitions, it'll be future acquisitions. Eventually, the the trade market for Brian Reynolds is going to probably wilt down a little bit. He went on video, I think, a couple days ago and said nothing has changed in that part, being one of the few baseball players to actually go out publicly and demand a trade. Well, how low would it have to get for for Jerry to actually be interested in terms of in terms of a package they're actually willing to give up? As far as you know. I mean, like, I, I don't know, like, it, that the package was too high. I don't think that the package was really, like, Pittsburgh just didn't really entertain any, I mean, they were entertaining offers, but, like, it was just borderline unreasonable. Like, they were trying to get a one Soto package for this guy. They're just not going to get that. Like, it's just really not going to happen. So, um, like, that's kind of what they wanted, and they were going to get that. I don't I don't know what it would take to get him. Um but, you know, the longer it plays, like some people say, well, the value will go up because it's it's trade deadline or whatever, and people get desperate, perhaps. But you run the risk of him getting hurt. You run the risk of him underperforming. And, like, the Mariners want the, the games. They want the volume. You know, they're willing to give up the prospects if they get the volume of games to offset it to help them win. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think that they have a problem. I mean, whether it costs Matt Brash or Jack Kelnick or whatever, I think they're willing to do it within reason. They don't necessarily have all the pieces that maybe they had to make an offer before, but they're not going to just sit there and give up five players because that's what it takes. They'll give up a certain amount of players. They have, an, they have a prospect idea of what they're willing to give up. They have a value system that they use, like um, that their analysts came up with and, that's what they'll do. Like if it's not at that, if it's not at the level they want, you know, the prospect thing that, you know, if it's too much in, in terms of inherent value, it's kind of like the fan graph scale, how they rate them. Then they'll just say, okay, we'll move on. Like, cause they have a value of what Brian Reynolds would be to them uh, over how many years and how many games you have them. 
versus what the prospect value of those players are and what they could potentially be. And if it doesn't mesh up to what they think is right, and they'll just say, okay, nope, we're good. You know, this is what we're willing to give. Come back if you're, you know, because they're not, they don't believe in the sweeteners. Like, you know, some people always write at the very end want to add a piece. Jack Z was always here. I need a little bit more because he's trying to win the trade, win the, win the social media thing on the trade. Whereas the Poto looks is just like, we need this. We need a piece. We have this value point. This is what we're willing to give up. And we're not going to ask for any more, but, you know, we're not going to give up any more, but we won't, you know, like try and ask for more from you either. So if you jump ahead to next year's free agent market, you know, DePoto's always been big on draft, trade, develop. Feels like they go after the Braves model a lot of the time with trying to keep a lot of their own guys. Well, they just trade for Teoscar Hernandez this offseason. And when you look at next year's free agent class among the position players, I mean, outside of the two white whales and Otani and Machado, it's not the strongest class for position players. So if Hernandez goes out there and has a big year this year, he could be the third best bat on the market next winter. That being said, do you feel like there's any shot that he was t- he would sign an extension in Seattle this year? If his agent is any good, he'll tell him not to sign an extension. And bet on himself and say, hey, look, this is a bad class. And if you're the third best bat in this class, you can make a lot of money on the market. Because um, I don't know that the Mariners would give him the perceived market value of what the third best bat would be next year. So, yeah, if you, his agent is smart, he's going to wait it out. We're going to have a bounce back here. And even if you have a down year, you're going to get a, a still a pretty good offer. And you can do a one-year offer to try it, like a pillow contract, and try and build it up. No, I I don't see it happening. But, you know, stranger things, I didn't necessarily see Luis Castillo signing an extension either. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't see it, you know. And, and the Mariners are going to try and reel in one of those white whales. I, I I don't know that they have the wherewithal to, to get Shohei Otani, but they'll make an effort. I mean, it's something that they're already planning on. You know, they they went after him hard the last time and basically were runner-up. So I, I, I know they're going to try again. That actually transitions really well to the next question I had is, do you, I'm not saying this is the right model to go after. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but do you feel like part of the reason they have not spent big the last two off seasons is because they are trying to gear up for a run at Otani. I mean, maybe, but like, you know, I think there's a lot of things, you know, last year, last year was a little bit more different. You know, Kevin Mather had a lot of say in last year's budget leading up into this season. I think it was last year, the year before. I don't know. Yeah, it was last year. Yeah. And so that was different. Um, and then just this year, I don't think it was so much about Otani, but like, you know, they gave a lot of money to, to Julio or committed a lot of money to Julio and, and Castillo and Robbie Ray. And, you know, and they got felt like, I think they felt like they got burned a little bit by Trevor Story. So then, you know, I, I don't necessarily think they're saving up because really like you, you look at Otani is an investment that he's the one player that more than any other player in baseball that, that, brings you a return on your investment not just in terms of production in a game but in terms of value fan value ticket value like people come to see him because he's a phenomenon like you know not very like we always joke that you know a free agent signing doesn't necessarily guarantee increased attendance but otani is a different is different it's just different because japanese people will come to see him and you go to games and like 
you know, like if, if it's a, if it's a bad series or whatever, like it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday series against the A's, if Otani's pitching in one of them, he, yeah, I'd go watch him play, you know, watch him hit and pitch, you know, it's a walk up value type of deal. So, um, they have the money. They have the they had the money to do both. I just don't think that they felt like they had a fit. And I think they're also aware that, you know, at this point, George Kirby is trending towards gonna towards like Walker Bueller level money in arbitration. And Logan Gilbert won't be far behind. And if Cal Raleigh hits the way he hits this year, you know, he's gonna make a sizable amount. They're gonna be spending a lot of money in arbitration in the next few years too. I think they're aware of that. Like I said, I just don't know that they found a fit that they were willing to commit that type of money to. I don't know that they're gun shy because of Cano or anything like that, but like they just didn't see a guy that they really felt like they could offer, you know, like if you're going to give 300 million to somebody, you damn well better be sure he's a guy you want. You can't be lukewarm on that. Would the Mariners match like the, the 16 year offer that AJ Preller is going to throw at him? No, I don't think so. I don't know that Otani wants to commit that long to something like that. I think the Mariners might, you know, might go heavy, like eight years, but heavier dollars, AAV, and just say, hey, look, you know, you have freedom. We're going to give you freedom. We're not going to lock you up to one thing. Because, like, what Otani's found is, like, oh, yeah, I committed to the Angels, and, and then they stink, and they don't know how to build a team around him. And then here he is, whereas, like, the Mariners offer him, you know, four years to say, look, look, Four or five, we'll give you an opt-out after three or four years. You can leave if we're not good. If you want to stay, great, you know, but we want you at this much and we'll pay you more to keep you around. Because I think ultimately sometimes those guys like to have some freedom, you know, and it's weird about thing. My mom is Japanese. Uh, she wasn't born there or anything like that, but she's full Japanese. And the Japanese culture is a little different, you know, in Japan too. I talk with some guys like the idea of like going super team like LeBron or signing with like the best team or for the most money isn't necessarily as honorable in that culture in terms of like, you know, signing and trying to win on your own or helping be a part of the team instead of joining like an all-star team. So I don't know how much that factors into it either. I mean, like Otani's been here a lot, so maybe he's been Americanized in that way, but Mariners will make a run. And I, I guess for me, if I'm Otani, like, yeah, you want to win, but you want to be in a spot where you feel comfortable that, you know, you're going to be able to do what you want in terms of hitting and pitching. And, you know, the organization is going to continue to build and put together a team around you so that, you know, you're not like it was the last couple of years for him. So when Trout's out, it's just basically him and a bunch of dudes from AAA Salt Lake. Regardless of where Otani lands, next offseason i really think it's going to be one of the more entertaining offseasons we've ever seen in baseball in terms of how that free agency is going to roll out i'm excited to see it let's shift gears i'm 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 itching to learn a little bit of what you've seen at spring training so far i mean you're standing up there next to the fence watching bryce miller yet yet uh today and lyle and i are like extremely excited to watch bryce miller pitch uh, in person whenever he can whenever i can get out of oregon and go watch a game uh, this upcoming spring, but you're standing there watching Bryce Miller. I mean, is, you know, that fastball and, and that breaking ball that it looks like it's living up to the hype. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's really kind of odd because he's so little, he's not a very big dude. Uh, you know, I don't think he weighs 175 pounds, uh, maybe five eleven, but it, it comes out hot. You know, we didn't have the gun readings on it today, but 
I'm sure it was like 98, 99 uh, pretty easily. The, sl- the slider is interesting because he has two. He has two sliders. He throws one, you know, I wouldn't say gyro style, but he kind of turns it one way and it's more of like a cut slider. And then he has one that he tries to sweep with to get the swing and misses. Then he's got a little change up that he threw a few times today and it's, it's serviceable. That's why, you know, they can keep him as a starter because he's got, you know, technically four pitches. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think at some point we'll see him in a relief role this year. You know, they'll keep him stretched out. But like you know, the durability factors and all that—it's just—it's just as as electric as Matt Brash's stuff is, you know, and just because it just you don't expect it. It's a little guy out there and then just comes out smoking, like you know. So those the comments when you hear the comments from guys today when they're hitting them live, that wow, good pitch, you know, or you got me, you know, stuff like that. You see some funky swings and stuff. And they look back at the catcher and stuff like that. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. He's got, I would say, like. Right now, he's probably the first uh, pitcher of that kind of prospect group that will debut. Uh, he'll be ahead of Hancock or Brian Wu or some of those guys. I think he'll be the first guy. So, what else are you looking for this spring? If you're gonna if you're gonna focus on some storylines, what are you looking at? Um. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm curious to see how Julio handles year two. Oops. You know, going from prospect to super superstardom and all the attention that comes with it, you know, how does he handle that? You know, sometimes they have to learn to say no to requests. Unfortunately, I hope they're not saying no to my requests, but, um, you know, how Kirby and Gilbert hold up, I think they're pretty strong kids and I don't, you know, but George has had shoulder issues in the past, just fatigue type of thing. So how do they monitor that? You know, they were pretty lucky in that they didn't have injuries last year. How brash is as a reliever, you know, early on, you're very curious to see, like, who comes out of the WBC healthy and playing well, you know, because that can be a little bit of an issue. Um, those are the main ones, you know, like, how, well, obviously, like, all eyes will be on Jerry Kelnick because, this, you know, with Taylor Tramiel being hurt, that's his spot now. He'll be the left-handed hitter in the platoon. I know that I had some guy email me that Cade Marlowe will beat him out. It doesn't matter. You know, the Mariners want Jerry Kelnick to be good. <laughs> They want Jerry Kelnick to be good, and all he has to do is not fall on his face this spring or get hurt, and he's going to be there in the opening day because he has all the potential. Um, so seeing how he handles that, the pressure that comes with that, has he changed a little bit in his approach? You know, Is he able to control his emotions, all those kinds of things? That's definitely something I'm going to watch. And I'll be watching how the shift affects guys like Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, even J.P. Crawford, the lack of shifts. Will that help them? You know, they, they need something more from JP than what they got last year. He just, you know, health-wise, he was banged up, but they just need more production from the plate. He needs to be a little bit more consistent on the field. Um, you know, does Cal do it again? Like, man, if Cal hits 29 bombs again, cool. You know how much money that guy's going to make in the future? A catcher that hits 20, 30 bombs and commands the pitching staff the way he does? So. Like they have a, a really solid team. Like I, I think they're gonna be pretty good, but they're they're still like a bat short and like they're not the deepest team in the world. I mean like you know, they, they rely on guys like Sam Haggerty and Dylan Moore to play key parts on certain days, probably more than a lot of other teams do. And if those guys, you know, it's just like one injury can really throw you into a lurch. I mean, look, look at last year. Haniger goes out. He's a key guy. And then all of a sudden, we got to see Justin Winker in left field. Then, you know, 
he can't play and Julio's hurt, then they bring Kelnick back. Like we've seen Sam Hagerty play out there. Like just, you know, that the injury factor is a big problem and they have to be kind of careful of it. You know, I'm glad you mentioned JP Cropper because we've talked a lot about him. And TJ and I are kind of baseball nerds because we were looking <laughs> through his savant page the last few weeks. I didn't realize until recently just how much he'd struggled with fastballs in his career. Like, of course, you watch the games and there's the eye test, but Savant really shows how much he's had issues with that throughout his career. I know he's been doing some work at driveline. Do you feel like maybe shortening up his swing could be more to your point of how they get more out of him this year offensively? Yeah, I mean, it's a long swing. He's got long levers anyway. He's got long arms. And so, like, his swing is long, you know the bat head pointed towards the pitcher and then you got to generate a lot. I just, you know, and he tries to be, I think with his approach, he wants to be able to hit any pitch. So he doesn't want to cheat the fastball too much because he gets out in front and wants to be able to spray. But, you know, as you get older, your body gets beat up. And I thought we saw that with injuries, you know, he had some lower back stuff, everything else. And when you have a long swing and you're not feeling great, how are you going to get around on 97, you know? And it's not so much like getting hits, and it's not even swings and misses. It's like it's just not good contact. You know, it's not crisp contact. Fouls off pitches has a lot of weak contact on fastballs. That just can't happen. You know, um, so I think you know, will he shorten it up? I haven't. I've seen him. I haven't watched him take BP, and you don't really know. But you know, they they. That's one thing that they asked him is to clean it up and shorten up your swing. Be a little bit more consistent with your bat path, and you know they feel like if he's able to do that, it'll help offset the fact that he, he does get dinged up playing almost every day. They're going to try and keep him a little healthier by resting him. But, you know, some of it's on JP. I mean, like, if that's not working, it's not working. You're going to have to make an adjustment. The more puzzling thing with JP, though, was his defense last year. We're looking up. He was just not good at all on defense last year. It, and I was that was Perry Hill subtweeting him today? Like, with, with that video, is it was he trying to correct like an old highlight from from what we saw? I I couldn't really tell what he was trying to get at with that. Re- regardless, like I I feel like JP should have probably just spent the off season sleeping at Perry Hill's house and, and working <laughs> on his defense. I I don't know, you know, what the balance was with that. No, he just I don't know. He was really dinged up last year. He had the back issues. You remember he dove head first on a on a ball, you know, into first base, which they had like that's how Cal got hurt too. So he had some back issues. You just can never get loose. And then finger issue and just knee issue. Like, he was really dinged up. You know, you'd see him all iced up or trying to heat it up. But, you know, I think, too, like, when you're not feeling great, you just – you aren't when you aren't 100% or you're dinged up the way he was, you're, you're not able to do your daily work. And I think it leaked into it. You know, I thought, you know, he wasn't – by the end, he was fatigued a little bit, too. You know, he plays like a maniac on the field. And so, like, I think that just wears him down physically. So I, I think as you get older, you have a better understanding of it. You know, it's harder work to be healthy. And he's starting to understand that. I mean, like, it took Kyle Seeger a while to understand that. You know, that he needed to drop some some pounds off his body and come in a little trimmer and, and do some more flexibility things to avoid the the soreness and stuff that you get through the course of the season. So I think that's a big thing for JP as well, but it uh, wasn't great defensively. And it wasn't like, cause I don't like measure the, the, you know, you look at the metrics or whatever, but he just, 
he boxed some routine balls that he needs to make, and that's possibly focus. Who knows what what is deter- de- de- distracting him on the field, whether it's health or whatever. But I think that was part of it. I guess we're kind of just making our way around the roster here. But speaking of injuries, Ty France, do you feel like his second half of the year last year was injury related from that play in Oakland? Or do you feel like it was really that he got exposed? Because I know he gave you that quote when you asked him about it during the year. It's like, oh, are you asking this because I'm not playing well these days or because I suck at baseball or whatever it was along the lines that he said. But do you feel like it was because of that injury or or was it more that pitchers just figured him out? Well, he had two injuries. He had the injury to his left arm on the the ball and the catch to his elbow. Um, and then he had a left wrist injury where he rolled over it, diving for a ball, which was similar to what he had in 2021. Hurt him. You know, the one thing with that is, like, he even said it wasn't the – he felt fine. Um, you know, and he was – we would have seen him icing and, and doing stuff. Like, you don't get to just get out of treatment when you're when you have an injury. They make you do that stuff. He wasn't really doing it. It wasn't that. But he, he looks – he just – got out of sorts with his approach in the sense that like he really likes to get out over the plate you know that's why he gets hit a lot is because he kind of leans into the plate and uh, if you watch and some the some Mariners scout Mariners admitted and some scouts told me is like when he was struggling there and, and it may have started with the wrist because you know it was bothering him but pitchers were attacking him under his hands with fastballs and he couldn't hit it you know because again he's trying to get out on the outside half of the plate and cover that and go that way. So then he's just not able to hit it. So what he tried to do is adjust and hit it and like hit those pitches. Um, and they weren't strikes. Like why adjust to hitting a pitch? It's not really a strike very often. And he got caught up in that and he just couldn't get it back. And then once you're trying to get it back, well, you've picked up these other bad habits and all that stuff. So he kind of lost his way as a hitter, you know, because that's, you know, you get exposed and pitchers can execute. So, you know, his counter to trying to get that fastball in on his hands was to do something different with his swing and his approach, when in reality, the best thing he could have done is just spit on it and not swing at it, you know, and that's, I think, the biggest issue. And I mean, that's something that came from the Mariners internally, and then even, you know, in talking with opposing scouts, is like they, they found a hole where they can get him, and he's not smart enough, or he's not disciplined enough or too stubborn enough right now to not swing at it because like he'd always hit his way out of everything. And that wasn't going to be the case. And I think he's understood that now. Um, he's such a smart ass. I don't know that he'll ever admit it to me, but you know, um, you know, I get one really well, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm going to ask him about it, but I don't know. What about Julio? I mean, I don't to be honest, Lyle, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't remember the last time we talked about Julio on this podcast because it <laughs> seems like the most certain thing uh, on the roster, which it, which is really funny when we're talking about a 22-year-old kid who happens to be three years younger than Lyle and about to be three years younger than me as well. <laughs> and and really crazy to think about and, and how he's going to sort of handle a stage this year where there are legitimate expectations that he could win American League MVP this year. I mean, how how you know has he walked into camp and really tried to 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 shut out all the noise and 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 just just be him and continue to be him? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw him today for the first time. Just kind of gave him a little nod. I you know waved at him, but like we didn't talk to him. He was busy, you know. Um, I don't. 
you know, he's always had a pretty good group of people around him uh, in terms of his, his agency that helps kind of keep him grounded and understanding what he wants to do. And they're not afraid to say no to something. And the Mariners, I mean, like the Mariners have to look at themselves internally and say, how much do we want from this kid? You know, we don't, we don't bug him that much like the media. You know, we request him every once in a while he plays well, but like we're not going to bug him all the time. You know, you don't wear the kid out. But the Mariners, I mean, like he's a marketing dream. He's a, you know, commercial dream. So, you know, they push on him a little bit more. And I think they need to look internally sometimes. Hey, man, we're, we're running this kid ragged here. Let's let's give him a break. But, you know, it's tough when you see the smile and how he reacts and everything else and what he means to that organization. I mean, you go to those games and there's more young kids than there ever has been. Um, and I was, you know, I was in eighth grade when, Griffey was a rookie, so that makes me sound really old. You guys probably weren't even born. But like I was in eighth grade when nope. Griffey was a rookie, and I know what that was like and what it meant to kids, and we're seeing that at those games with with kids. It's just a phenomenon. And so it's hard to say no, or it's hard to not want him out there front and center all the time, but that's the biggest thing. You know, and for him on the field, it's just how do you stay on the field? You know, what did he play in 125 games? Is that what he played in? I don't remember. I mean, like that's yeah. It was some. It was some. It was something. Yeah. yeah. Let's look it so, up. So, like, you know, it's got to yeah. be. How do you? How do you stay on the field? How do you be out there for 150 games? Um, obviously, it's probably not going into the All Star into the Home Run Derby with a bad wrist and then swinging and becoming a superstar. Although I'm sure he doesn't regret that. But like, he's as good. At, you know, he can be as good as he wants to be as long as his body allows it, you know, and the mindset allows it, you know, I don't, I don't know that he'll ever be a, a complete, like a three, 300 hitter, but I think he can be was 285. I mean, was he 265, 270 last year? You know, that's you know, think about how bad his first month was. Um, he has a better understanding. He's going to have to realize too, is like, they're going to attack him differently. He's not just a kid anymore. He's the best player on the team and they're going to do things differently. And he might only see one or two good pitches a night. But, you know, really, that's the biggest thing for his success and the Mariners' success is if he's out there 150 games, like the counting stats, the homers, the the RBIs, everything like that, that's going to come just because he's that good. You know, but, you know, look at what he could have been. Like, he, in 125 games or whatever it was, he, you know, he had 20, he had 2020. You know, he's like, he was really good. He was a he was a game changing player, but you can't change games if you're not out there. And it's no fault of his own. There was some fluke stuff that happened too. you know, he gets hit by a pitch or stuff like that, but you know, finding ways to be out there all the time. I think that's the next step for him. And, you know, just, you know, being there night in night out. I, I, I know you don't want him to lose. You don't want him to lose that kind of childish joy that he has, you know, like, I mean, like Griffey kind of lost that for a while and, because of all the attention and all the pressure and everything else, you know, Julio is too young to lose that joy for the game. And it's such a big part of him and his energy and what he, he does, Um, you know, and, and just, I think for him realizing that, you know, all the work he did to get to have the success from last year, um, it has to continue and probably ramp up every year. You get a little bit older and the league gets a little more difficult and people know you or, you know, injuries, whatever, it's going to have to continue. And it's going to have to continue to elevate. I think he has that personality, but it'll be interesting to watch. You know, the Mariners have invested a lot of money in him. They need him to continue on this trajectory. 
And I mean, if he really wants to ultimately get paid the way he wants, he needs to do it as well. I know, I know you mentioned that he went into the Derby hurt last year with that wrist thing, but with the all-star game and the home run Derby being in Seattle this year, barring injury, there's no way he's not doing it. Right. Oh yeah. No, there, I can't, I mean, it would take, I can't even imagine a circumstance other than injury. Yes. I can't even imagine a circumstance where he doesn't do it. I mean, like, no, this kid lives for the the bright lights and the spotlight. I mean, like, can you think of anything better than that? You know, I mean, it's, I mean, I just can't think of anything else. You know, why wouldn't be there? You know, he's going to be, I mean, you got to believe that he'll have the, one of the highest fan votes too, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm already making plans for uh, the story I'm going to do on the all- preview in the All-Star game about him. So he better just keep playing. I'm curious about the pitching rotation as we sort of finish up the roster here. Mm-hmm. A lot of the talk of the offseason was that fifth starter spot is someone, uh, one of Marco or Flex, was going to get traded, and it was just eerily quiet all offseason. We didn't even hear really any sort of rumor or any any just any traction towards either of those guys getting dealt. Was that ever realistic, or do they always or do they always want them back? No, teams knew that uh, the Mariners made it clear that both were available. Um, they just didn't have a lot of return or a lot of interest that could change. I mean, like if you're the Yankees now, suddenly Chris Flexen looks pretty good. You know, um, I, I think the Mariners were going to move them. I think the Mariners probably thought they needed one Flexen to move Jesse Winker, but they were able to work that on their own. Um, I think they still could move him. But, you know, it's good to have insurance, especially, you know, I think for a while there, they weren't certain if Castillo was going to pitch in the, the WBC or not. So you definitely want insurance for that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm i surprised they're there. I'm, they might be surprised they're there too. Marco looks really good. I mean, he's really trim and, like, looks like he's 12 years old. Um, but, yeah, I, I think – I think Marco will be the fifth starter and Flex will pitch out of the bullpen just because he's better equipped to do that than Marco is. Um, but I, I don't know that Chris will finish the season with the Mariners um, just because there there could be needs or whatever. You can address some stuff. Now, I don't think they're just going to give him away, but, you know, they 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 have a surplus there. Um, and, you know, they have some young pitchers, like we mentioned Miller and Hancock and Wu and, some of those guys that could tailor dollar that could come up and start, you know, and fill the fill a role that they don't necessarily need to have flex around. So yeah, it's crazy that they I've never been in a position with since with Depoto where they've had kind of a set rotation. It's been a while. I guess back when they had Felix Kuma, Pax, Walker, Taiwan, and I, I can't remember who the other one is. But those guys, you know, Pax was always banged up and Taiwan was too. So um you know, this, this group is definitely different in that regard. It's, it's pretty solid. And, you know, I don't, uh, we were kind of debating on whether Flex would finish out spring training or if he'd get moved. You know, the WBC could change a lot. Guys come back from there. They don't feel great. That's when you make that move. So maybe that's when the Mariners can address something. And I, again, like the, I don't think the Mariners like were pushing to trade him. It was like, okay, we'll listen to offers. If it fits us, we'll do it. 
If it doesn't, we'll hold on to him because we might need him. You never know. Some guys could come back with a bit of a soggy elbow. I know I hear that it's contagious <laughs> yeah. nowadays. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, I thought Marco looked really skinny. You said he looked yeah. cut. I thought I saw your video. He I, he honestly looked a little skinny to me. I don't, it I seems good. Uh, you said yeah. best shape. Yeah, I bet you he's lost 20-some pounds. He's got, he got a little dad bod. Remember, he just had a kid a little while. He got a little dad bod on him, you know. And and so and his wife Monica, she was a she's a personal trainer and nutrition like degree in nutrition and something else from Gonzaga. So maybe she put the foot down. She was a she was a trainer at Orange Theory for a while. Maybe she made him start going to Orange Theory. But he looks really trim. He looks a lot more athletic. And I think for him, being a little trimmer and being more athletic. You know, when you're when you're a command guy, that means your mechanics have to be pinpoint all the time. And then maybe if you're carrying a little extra weight, you're not able to do that. So maybe that um, can help him because I think he can still be an effective fifth starter. And what people need to know is like the Mariners aren't going to slot it out like the way they expect because they're trying to um, control the usage of Logan and George. George will probably be in the number five spot coming out of spring. That way they can kind of control it with the off days. It was like they were, DePoto was explaining it to me, but those guys could be slotted differently to the point where, you know, like everybody expects it's going to be like Castillo, then Robbie, then Logan, George, you know, they could be slotted a little differently. They could bump Marco up early and then have it because they're trying to slot it out to the start of the season. They backdate it to when they would pitch in a regular season and then work their way backwards. So, you know, they're very cognizant about the usage early and the buildup for the the two young kids. So it might not necessarily be um, the way people expect it coming out of spring, but I'll, I expect all five of those guys to be there. The last question I've got for you is TJ just kind of alluded to it a minute ago, but talking about the World Baseball Classic, when they announced that Luis Castillo was not going to pitch in the tournament for Team Dominican Republic. Was there just like the biggest sigh of relief from the Mariners front office in, in the thinking of we are not going to have another Drew Smiley incident all over again? Yeah, I mean, like they talked with Luis extensively about it. And I think Luis was under a ton of pressure to pitch for the DR, particularly coming off of how he did in the postseason. But I don't know that like, he really, really wanted to do it because like he doesn't, you know, in that regard, you're almost starting your, your workouts, your throwing program, everything two and a half weeks or two and a half, three weeks earlier than you might normally. So I don't think he wanted to eat into his off season that much by having to start training that hard earlier than usual. You know, he comes in, and now when he does his build up, he's been doing his normal workouts. He's on his normal schedule. You know, I think he preferred that more. I mean, like, I don't wouldn't say that he was hoping the Mar- he was looking for an excuse not to go, but like in discussing it with the Mariners and everything like that, you know, if you're going to go and do this, you need to do these things to be ready to pitch at that time. And I don't know that he was willing to do it. So I think it was kind of a mutual understanding like, hey, this probably isn't the best for me or the team right now. So let's just kind of say, you know, he's not going to do it. And if the Mariners have to look like the bad guys in the situation, so be it. You know, they don't care because they don't, after what happened with Drew Smiley, I don't think they want any of the guys playing in it. I think that'll wrap it up for us. You can 
find all of Ryan's work uh, at the Seattle Times website, or if you still buy newspapers, usually, Ryan, I believe you're still right on the front page every week. Uh, I know my uh, parents still get the paper delivered, so you're always right there in the front. Uh, and you can also also find Ryan's work uh, with the Extra Innings podcast. Uh, Ryan, do you know when your next one's going to be out so we could uh, we could bump it? Um, I don't know. Probably next week. I was going to wait a little bit so I could see a few guys and stuff like that and then talk to Larry. Um, you know, I had plans to make it, like, better, but you guys got, like, the cool microphones and stuff, and I'm just not willing to invest that or my time into <laughs> it. So, um you know, we'll see. Uh, but I think it'll be next week. I wanted to watch a few days worth of it and then go from there. Then it will probably be out right around when this episode of the podcast drops. So if you are listening to this after, obviously after it comes out, I go check out the Extra Innings podcast. So Ryan, thank you so much for joining. Uh, stay away from Mill Avenue and, and Old Town if you want to. You want to have a, a of a safer uh risk-free spring yeah i'm a little too old for those places now i'm probably more like desert ridge you know but like you know you being over here in the west valley it can get a little rough you know we one night me and our columnist matt Hawkins went out to have some beers and i think watched the uw hoops game or something and i said to matt i said okay first person to find because it was as an outdoor bar i said first person to find someone without exposed tattoos man or woman uh, the other one has to buy drinks all night. We couldn't find one. So. <laughs> uh, I know, like, I don't know. You're pretty far away from Gilbert, but we've heard downtown Gilbert's cool, too. And it might be a little bit of a, a bit of an older vibe, too. If you want to trek all the way across the valley. Uh, yeah, no, I'll, okay. just, I'll stay here. If I have to, I'll go rock out in Sun City. You know, it's usually done by nine o'clock. So I can get up early in the morning. All right. Sounds good, Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Anytime. That was a phenomenal interview with Ryan Divish, one of the favorite interviews I've done in my time in media, uh, getting to sit down with a Mariners beat writer for the Seattle Times, Ryan Divish. We know he's such a great personality, uh, and he can show it a little bit more on a podcast form like this. We're happy to give him the platform, and it's really just get to good and and just have a conversation. It, it, it was an awesome interview. I love talking to Ryan. He's great. He's phenomenal. And I've got to say, did you hear him at the start of the interview? He gave us credit for going to Arizona State. You see all yeah. these people in the world, they give their kids or other people credit for going to Harvard, to Stanford. Guess what? At those places, you hate your life for four years. All you do is schoolwork. Why not enjoy it and go to ASU? And Divish was like, yeah, credit to you guys for making it through. And I, I was like, we appreciate it, Ryan. Yeah, we survived. We survived. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like anyone in the Divish sphere will go to Arizona State. No, it does not. It does not. It does not. <laughs> but that, that's okay. I'll say, hey, listen, listen. It's fun. We know that. We know that. But hey, I I understand I understand the I understand the my my daughter is never going here. I under I under I, I get it. I get it. That was funny. That made that cracked me up. That, that really did. That was good. Uh, so that's good stuff with Ryan Divish. Um, he's, again, one of one of the, the the best personalities around the Mariners and also does phenomenal reporting work. He really does his job well because he brings some personality, like you said, but he really does good reporting. If you listen to his podcast, he'll give you some insight to things he's hearing from inside the walls, which is really cool. He gave us a little bit of that, too. 
And we really covered everything in that interview, which was awesome. I mean, we covered multiple off seasons. We covered spring training. We covered positions. It was great. I mean, he gave us a ton of time and obviously we are really appreciative, appreciative of that. Okay, TJ, let's wrap up the show with speak your mind. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. I think I know you've got something itching on your mind this week, but I'll let you tell me and everybody, what is it? Sure. I have two this week. Uh, First one, I'd like to shout out Will Simpson of the UW baseball team for getting ejected for bat flipping in a game against Santa Clara. Uh, I think it was today. They're playing the finale today against Santa Clara. Uh, down in California, and Will Simpson, I believe, hit a game-tying home run. Let me let me pull up the tweet. I don't have the tweet pulled up. Um, I sent it to you, so we're, we're going to look at it. But I believe he hit a game-tying home run against Santa Clara. He bat-flipped. Um, yep, yeah, it was game-tying home run. He bat-flipped a very uh, casual bat-flip, I, I would say, and managed to get himself ejected from the game. So I will say, with college baseball being back, umpires are back baby you can't have baseball without umpires taking over as the center of the show you can't have it i mean that's why people tune in people want to see ejections of the best player on the team like will simpson is pretty much the best player on washington's baseball team and in a in a crucial situation he got thrown out because of course he did for a bat flip it wasn't like an excessive bat flip. It's the bat never went above his head. Um, I think he made it about three quarters of the way down the line before he tossed his bat, which is not an ejectable offense. There was no uh, the NCAA banned dugout props. There was no dugout props. Uh, there was, yeah, I I don't know. He he hit a home run and he hit a bat flip and got tossed out of the game. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. We might really have to take our victory lap this year with umpires and really kind of call out some of their bullshit all year. Because if Robo Umps actually start in 2024, it's going to be great for the game. And we are both pro Robo Ump here on the podcast, but there won't be much trashing of umpires strike three calls anymore. That's really unfortunate. I'm I'm going to miss that part. I'm going to miss it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay. So my speak your mind this week. You kind of dipped into baseball for yours. I'm going to cheat a little bit and dip into baseball a little bit for mine, even though we usually stay away from the diamond on Speak Your Mind. It ties in a little bit. So Mac McClung won, won the dunk contest this past weekend, right? This is a guy that's played two career NBA games, but he got into the dunk contest because it's not as star-filled as it used to be. You don't get the LeBrons and the KDs and guys like that joining the dunk contest nowadays. But Mac McClung won it. He put on an absolute show. But there were some people talking about how, oh, he he got in despite just playing two NBA games. He's basically a G League player. And somebody sparked the idea on Twitter. Her name's Kelsey Hennigan. I hope I got her name right. She said she's loving, she loves seeing a G League guy do well in the slam dunk contest. And she said it sparked an idea. I think it would be cool if the minor league home run leader got a spot in the home run derby. And it just got me thinking a little bit. I'm not pro- I'm not all for it. I'm not all against it. Just got me thinking it could be an interesting idea. If we got to see somebody like we're going to tie it into the Mariners, Robert Perez go up against big leaguers in the home run derby. Could that be kind of a cool thing? 
that could be okay. I th- I think the difference between the two leagues is Major League Baseball does not have trouble getting stars to participate in the Derby. I mean, true. What what would be an NBA compare? What would be like this dunk contest compared to the uh, to the home run derby? What kind of players are we seeing participate in the home run derby? I mean, off the top of your head, is that like a an AJ Pollock? Maybe no younger, younger than that. Um, Christian Christian Pache in the in the home run derby. Um, who else? Anyone on off the top of your mind? You're talking about in comparison to Mac McClung, or just like this year's dunk contest. I don't who I forget the four that were uh, that participated besides Matt McClung, but uh, it, you know it's all guys you don't know that well, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, obviously in in baseball, when you have Julio and Juan Soto and Corey Seager and all those guys participating in the Derby, you have stars in it. It was just an idea that obviously those minor league guys right. probably wouldn't win very often, but just as as an example of maybe how to market minor league baseball to the pros a little bit more, just because some people follow it, some people don't. But obviously, like you said, it's it's not a perfect one for one. It just got me thinking a little bit, so I thought I'd present it here because I thought it was an interesting idea. I like the idea. Again, I just don't think Major League Baseball has a problem filling the field uh, so they wouldn't have to dip into the minor leagues and and fill a spot with a minor leaguer. That's all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it. If some minor leaguer at the breaks got like 40 bombs, like, okay, sure. Put them in. If, if Ellie De La Cruz had been in the home run derby this past year, I mean, I would have watched. Now with yeah, what the Reds have said yes to that. Eh, yeah. I don't know. Probably How not. does that affect a prospect development? That's interesting. Something to think about though. He's got, you know, he's got the power for it. You would know you saw him, you saw him play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But you're right. It's it's not a perfect comparison. Baseball does not have trouble getting stars into that contest. So maybe it won't happen, but I like the idea. My second uh, thing here for Speak Your Mind, Lyle, did you realize the XFL is back this weekend before Sunday? I did, and I watched a couple games. And I watched that Sea Dragons game. game. I watched the second half of the Sea Dragons and like pieces of the first half. How did uh, Gucci Danucci look? Oh, you didn't see what happened. Well, I saw he threw a pick six. Um, oh, the, as you can tell, I, I didn't. I didn't watch any of the game. I didn't. Yeah. So, so you haven't seen the ending. These dudes converted multiple third and fourth downs. Josh Gordon had a couple of the conversions. They got all the way down to the one yard line. They they're out of timeouts. It's first and goal at the one with like 30 seconds to go. So you don't really need to spike the ball. They spike it. So then it's second and goal. Clock stopped at about 27 seconds. They try some option play. Ben DiNucci just completely loses the ball out of his hands. Like it mirrored Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl almost. Lost it. DC picked it up. Game over. There were a yard from winning the ball game and they blew it. I couldn't believe how that game ended. Something about Seattle teams in the one yard line. It's just haunted. I, I know. It made me realize, you know, in the NFL, people call players like Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins somewhere between average to slightly above average as QBs. In the grand scheme of things, those guys are really, really, really good when you're sitting and watching XFL games with Ben DiNucci and ASU legend Manny Wilkins starting games. 
Wait, who does Manny start for? St. Louis. Huh. Man. Yeah, I just don't think you'll catch me like sitting on my computer and watching an XFL game. I, I, I don't think I could get myself to do it. The, like, the quality of football is just not good enough. I can't do it. I, I, again, I, re- I didn't even realize the XFL was back this week until I, I opened my phone. It's like, oh, I see The Rock standing there in the Rangers stadium screaming to the crowd. <laughs> I don't know. I like their I like the kickoff rule though. They kept that from the uh the second iteration of the XFL. This is now the third iteration of the XFL. I didn't even realize that old Ranger Stadium is still intact. I figured they would have taken it down by now and just turned it into a parking lot or something else, but it it's still up. It's still well, it there. It just sits there. It just sits there. I think they play high school in there. I think. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder for how much longer, but well, for the time being, it's still there. But yeah, for me, it was just like, well, spring training games haven't started yet. Football's obviously over. I watched some college basketball, but it was on. So Sea Dragons were playing. I was like, why not? Ugh. Yeah, I no, just not interested. Just not not good enough football. All right. Fair enough. Well. Maybe you'll watch more minor league baseball than minor league football when the season comes around being the XFL. But shout out MLB TV. Get all minor league games. It's going to be awesome. Yep. I can't wait for mm-hmm. it. That'll be good. That'll be good. And shout out T-Mobile as well. It's essentially just Absolutely. Free. No doubt. Well, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full form podcast, you can listen on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google and the video version on YouTube. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Leave us a review on the podcast. Word of mouth is great too, by the way, guys. If you're liking the podcast as much as, even half as much as we're enjoying doing it, tell your friends, tell people about it because we're really enjoying it. We hope you guys are too. For TJ Matthewson, this has been Lyle Goldstein. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.